Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. This is a really raw chat with Andrea Tamas. Uh, the main thing we were talking about was was her transformational moment when she had a near-death experience. But more recently, she's she's had to experience the passing of her partner and she was uh, courageous enough to, to share parts of that journey and got quite emotional but she was she spoke to me afterwards she was really thankful to be able to share that experience and beneficial to her and she definitely knows it'll be beneficial to anyone listening who's experienced that level of loss um yeah it, it if you have had someone close to your past then this, this will be pretty raw um but it, when you hear stories like this from other people and you hear how what they went through and how they experienced it, you realise you're not alone and that, uh, yeah, that whatever you went through, however you experienced it, there's no right or wrong. And it just, yeah, it, it, there's so much value in hearing other people go, go, who've gone through a similar stuff. So a lot of wisdom in here like i said also a heap of emotion you'll get a heap out of this uh enjoy this chat hi everyone and welcome to this week's guest andrea tamas how are you andrea i'm amazing thank you ian for having me on how are you doing i'm going well thank you i'm glad to hear you're amazing you're just telling me how you've been traveling all over the place so i imagine you are amazing that would be so cool uh, you're in Germany at the moment, but you've been a bit here and there all over Europe. Must have been fantastic. Yes, and not, not just Europe, but I would say around the world because uh, I've been in the Southeast Asia for approximately four months or so. Ah, yes, because you were in Bali. And, yes. uh, and for the long-term listeners of this podcast have heard me talk about Bali before, did you have any profound moments or shifts while you were in Bali? Oh, I've had some very big shifts while I was in Bali uh, because I went there right after Thailand, after I spent like three months in Thailand where honestly, while I was in Thailand, I received so much from like the business side, the uh, love side, uh, friendships. I, I Thailand gave me a lot on that, on that side. And then I went to Bali before I knew I'm coming to Europe and I just had this very strong nugget that I have to go to Bali before Europe 
And uh, I've had some really profound shifts while I was there because I went to Ubud and Ubud, it's the, the name itself, it means healing. And I knew it before I went there that my, my sole purpose there is the healing side. And uh, I've experienced, I would say, the biggest shift uh, three days before I left when I did a soul massage. <laughs> Interesting. I stayed at Ubud as well, and uh, that was my memory of it. Like similar to you described those those uh, moments of change. I did not know that the, the actual the name was translated to healing. Wow, that's yes. Amazing. And wow. I actually I found out about that when I was doing a one day like healing uh, healing retreat. That's when I found out because they were telling us a little bit of history and they're like, and Ubud means healing. I'm like, huh, okay, <laughs> no wonder I'm here. <laughs> yeah. So a soul massage, uh, they've got some highly skilled, uh, what would we call them, practitioners doesn't really do it justice, does it? Because they, uh, they're amazing. Mm -hmm. What does a soul massage Involved. Oh my God. It's, um, I would say I've done throughout my life since I've started on this, um, personal development healing journey. I would say I've done so many modalities, like everything that came my way, my path, I would try it. But the soul massage, it was the most profound and intense things I've have done throughout my whole life. And it's far from a massage as you, as you hear the name, it's like soul massage it's like a very tricky name yeah. and what happens you you get there and it was a Balinese healer and she she's asking you what what has brought you here like why are you here today and for me the process the moment she she asked me the process has, has already started because I was like I was already started crying yeah. and I was like you know, it's the pain and the grief. I just don't want to hold on to that um, anymore. And she looks at me and she's like, yes, but you're not here only to release your grief, but you're here to release your your family and your ancestors' grief and pain. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so then she literally sat me on a, on a massage table. I was like fully naked and uh, she covered me with a sarong. And I was sitting with my face down and then she would uh, tell me, for example, release the pain of your partner. And then she would press with her hand or with her elbow on certain points on my back. And she, then I will just release it. And that release it would happen in different ways. I would cry i would scream i would shake so it happened on all levels it was so intense it lasted i think two and a half hours and by the end of those two and a half hours i had the vein like broken on my eye but because of how much i screamed and i oh, yelled wow. yeah wow amazing and Sounds quite similar to uh, to my experience in Bali as well. Uh, there was one moment where I was like dry reaching from like cleansing whatever was going on. A lot of mine was grief as well. Um, and I can definitely relate to the shaking and the sobbing and, um, yeah, and, and it's hard to describe to someone who hasn't been through it. I mean, I'm sure our ex 
experiences were very different, even though they sound similar. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to explain to anyone. I guess the the best way to explain it is the how you feel afterwards. So so yeah, what was the feeling afterwards? Oh my god, I think I, I felt like a hundred a hundred kilograms lighter. I was feeling so so good even though my eyes were like pop like this and i could barely see because of how much i cried yeah yeah uh, but it was um, an amazing feeling and uh, the healer afterwards she told me andrea you have been to hell and you came back wow yes that's how that's how deep it was and i knew i went very very deep because even when it was at the point of releasing trauma from my grandpa uh, i told her that he had alcohol problems and that he has been in in war and when he was drinking he was transformed like he was a total different person so when we did the releasing for my grandpa she told me release the possess the possession that your your grand your grandpa had because he was possessed after the war mm. and oh my god when that came when i screamed i think i was i was afraid of my screaming <laughs> really because it was really like a possessed person yeah so and it was Wow. And it was nothing that those are not things that you make up, you know, you just you you just go with it. And it was mm. oof. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. And again, hard to explain. Like I've had people question question me, oh, did, did they give you um uh hallucinogens or something like that? I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't remember being given anything, but I saw things that again, hard to describe, but but the feeling that you talked about afterwards despite the quite intense nature of it the other side it's like yeah lighter mm-hmm. did you actually lose weight physically lose weight as well through that time no no i i did not lose weight uh what i would say what i felt it was i i haven't felt as much pain in my body because throughout this period of time of grief, of sorrow, and so on, every single time when I would have a massage, my whole body was hurting, like very, very bad. And especially in Thailand, I got a lot of massages, like mm-hmm. a couple a week, I would say, but still every single day, every single time it would hurt really bad. And that, that was a shift I have noticed after that, that my body doesn't really hurt as it used to. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Very cool. Um, now, you mentioned that uh, the uh, the screaming, and it kind of made me think about, uh, like, my wife going through childbirth, and mm. um, I'm sure that's a very healing experience in itself, but the, the sound is like she described it like being outside of her body and, and it was like someone else was, was screaming. Um, you had a near-death experience back in 2015, was was there any, because I've heard people talk about near-death ex- experiences where they, they feel like they're outside of their body as well and they're like, they're almost witnessing it. Is that mm-hmm. what yours was like, that sort of uh, mm-hmm. stereotypical near-death experience or something completely different? I wish I would have had that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I did not. Uh, my, my experience was um, that I went in Las Vegas 
uh, with my my previous partner. We went to a music festival, and I took a substance. That's all I'm gonna say. I took a substance uh, for the festival to have more fun, um, and it was something that I wasn't accustomed or I wasn't regularly doing. So I didn't know at that time that I have an allergy reaction. Oh, to that substance. So yeah. I ended up having a seizure and uh, and being in the hospital for two days and uh, being in a coma for two days. Hmm. But I don't remember, like, everything was, like, blackout from the moment I started, like, getting a seizure. I don't remember, like, getting into the ambulance, being in the hospital, those are all like blackout moments for me. And I I didn't, I don't remember having a, a, like an outside body experience, but that's when my, not in that moment, but a year or so after, that's when my transformation started happening with pursuing of, why am I here? Like, what is my purpose here on earth? Uh, because the first year after it happened, I was a lot in like guilt and shame and fear uh, because of that. And because I was like, oh, that happened because of a substance. So I didn't really share with my family or my friends. So I was living in a lot of like hiding and guilt and and all those like lower vibrations. And then I was also very mad on myself and on the medical system because I didn't have insurance in the United States, which it means I had thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to pay medical bills. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you don't remember any of it, but when you came to, like, I know what that feeling like when you come out of uh, anesthesia, anesthesia or mm -hmm. something like that and then you know slowly you sort of the haze starts to lift was it something like that or did you just wake straight up I mean I imagine there would have been some confusion about why you were there yeah. it was it was a big confusion I, I have no idea I'm like where am I what happened it was it was very very weird and very hard and i had my partner at the moment um he was next to me in the hospital he wouldn't like leave me for any second and i re i remember in those moments i'm like wow i really wish right now i would have my family next to me mm, interesting have you made sense i mean i know we all want to have our family but like do you, have you made sense of why there was such a strong, strong urge for that? Um, I think because of the fact that I was feeling my, I was so fragile and in, in, a, in a moment where I feel like, like life is so short and uh, I can, like, I wanted to be taken care of and have the, the dearest people next to me. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm curious whether there's a link here. You, you have been living in the U S mm -hmm. but that's not where your family's from. So was it, would that have contributed to it? Like you, you didn't have your family there sort of on a regular basis. So when you're going through those really tough times, that's, that's the first thing you think of. 
Yes, that's that's exactly it. Because then that was another time. It was it was still very fresh after I moved to United States. So I moved to United States 2014, and the near death experience started. It was 2015, so it was a year after. And I would say the first years after I moved to United States, I was constantly questioning. I'm like, oh, is this really the best decision? Can I really do this? Can I really? be so far away from my friends, from my family. And I I even dealt with a little bit of depression at the beginning because I was questioning so much and it was so hard. And I was like, why, why, why did I do this move? Like, is it really, is it really the best decision? But then what, what kept me going was that I would tell myself, you know, I can always go back. But I had this like very strong feeling that I have to be there. I have to be there. I didn't know why, but I had this strong feeling that I have to be there. Ooh, can we go back to that? Because something I talk about a lot is that intuitive nudge to do something mm-hmm. and sometimes we act and other times we don't and quite often we don't we then regret it so you grew you you are in which part of the world were you and what was that call that you needed to that you yeah. needed to go somewhere else and why so so i was in romania i grew up in romania i spent my whole life there until i was 24 and then the first time i i was even um in touch that I can go to United States was my second year of university where out of the Southern randomly, one of my uh, colleagues from university, she's like, I'm going to United States this summer. And it was like, like this for me, like instant. I'm like, you're going, that's possible for us to go to United States. She's like, yeah, there is this program called work and travel. You go, you register, you pay a bunch of money. (laughs) You go and work in the United States. I'm like, wow, I want to do that. And I swear that instantly the same day or the second day, I went to the agency that she went to. And I'm like, I'm registering. I didn't have the money. I had no idea how I'm going to make it, where I'm going to go. It was super late, but I'm like, I'm going. I have to go. And then I I figured out to my mom gave me some money. Then I had some money saved and somehow I made it work. But that's not all of it. From the beginning, from the that first summer when I decided to go, I encountered a lot of challenges to which right now I'm looking at them as tests. Because in United States, I've had my most transformative and the hardest year, some of the hardest years in my life. So from the beginning, when I decided to go, I had this experience with the job that it ended up being human trafficking. Oh, wow. So then I was there and I had to make a choice. Am I still going to go and pursue going, waiting for another job? Or am I going to put it on the side because I almost went to human trafficking and I'm, I'm not going to go and lose all the money and my dreams and hopes. And I decided to go because, again, it was so strong. I'm like, I know it's dangerous. I know I almost went to human trafficking, but I have to go. So, so when you say working for a business that was doing human trafficking or you actually being trafficked? 
Yeah. So it was, so the way it works, we go, like you go to an agency in Romania and that agency finds you a job in United States. And then those jobs, they they are verified. They are verified by some sponsors in United States, then by the embassy. And for me, when I arrived at the embassy, I was already with my luggage because it was super late in the summer. I was already with my luggage. I'm like, I'm just going to get a visa and then fly straight to US. (laughs) And when I arrived at the embassy, the embassy like started asking me a bunch of questions about the job itself and the agency. And then I realized something is wrong, that something is not right. And they ended up telling me towards the end of the, the interview at the embassy that, you know, this is human trafficking. And that's the reason why we cannot give you the visa for this job, but bring us another job within the States and then you can go. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was saved by the fact that people did uh, their job and they verified, uh, you know, the the jobs within the United States. How scary. Did that, when you found that out, did that, like, did it have a big impact of that's, what, that's how close you came to something like that? Yeah, of course. I was, I was so afraid and I was terrified and I was like, can I even like trust to go like, to a job in the United States, am I really going to go where the agency is telling me that I'm going? Is this even like safe? Of course, I was like, I was afraid. Uh, but then again, it was this very strong feeling that I still have to go. Like, I, I want to trust that this is also showing me that I'm also taking care of. Yeah. The fact that it was found out and that I didn't end up being there, it's also showing me that I'm taking care of. Yes, there is a risk and there is danger, but there, there is also danger in everything we do. Yes. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the lure of the United States. Was it because uh, growing up in Romania that that was seen as a an amazing place and with you know what we what we learn growing up out of the us is like it's a land of opportunity and all these different things was it like this almost like mystical place that you'd seen it on the television and you thought oh i want to get involved in that yeah so it's it was a few different things the first of course it was like oh my god the american dream i remember when i landed i landed in new york and i'm like wow i cannot believe it you know yeah. <laughs> like because it seemed almost impossible to go from romania from a communism country to united states so that that was like one of the the first things then another thing that attracted me to to go to united states is because i felt in europe at that time um, that I am uh, labeled in a certain way by being from Romania. And I knew I didn't really want to stay in Romania and I could have very easily chosen to go anywhere in Europe. That would have been very easy for me. But I always felt that I would be labeled by being Romanian and that I'm not going to have the same chances and opportunities as, as everyone else. And after I experienced from the first summer United States, I was so like mind blown by how people, how open they were and how actually they loved my accent and they loved that I was like from this 
country somewhere in the world. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So most of your fears were just not right at all. So you settle in pretty quickly into the US? Yes, but I, I did it before I moved to United States. I went with that program from the first summer, which is called Work and Travel. I did it four times. Right. Before I decided to make the move and like go and like stay there and not just do it for the summer, which was a totally different experience because when you only go for the summer, it's like, you know, it has an end and it's like fun, you work, you, you have fun, but then you go back. And what I noticed while I was doing that, that it's always this feeling like while I was in the United States, I'm like, oh my God, the summer is all almost over. I cannot wait to go back to my friends, to the university and like relax because I always worked a lot when I was in the States. And yeah. then when I was back in Romania, I was like, oh my God, I really miss United States. <laughs> yeah. And the people there. So it was always like this play and the fact that you weren't anywhere, you know, like you were in between these two worlds. So that's that was one of the things when I decided that okay, I I know I want to at least give it a try to to be in the states for longer than just one summer. Yeah, awesome. So if we just go back to that near death experience, like the the days and weeks after that, like was it? confusion was it like were you feeling really down like you mentioned guilt and shame Mm -hmm. and all of those sorts of things but in those early times what was it like yeah it was a lot of fear um because the doctors also told me um i mean told my partner because i don't remember talking with any of the doctors Mm -hmm. told my partner that we don't know when and if she's going to have another seizure because once you have the seizure in your life, it can always be triggered like much easier again. So we don't know when and if she's going to have the seizure again. And then she has to be very careful moving forward uh, to drink like a lot of electrolytes, no alcohol, of course, no substances and so on. So I was living in this this uh, fear that, oh, my God, when is it going to happen again? And then it was also, I'm not going to be able to live a normal life anymore. And not just that, but because the seizure is something that happens at the head in your brain, uh, I had like terrible headaches for at least one year afterwards that I couldn't manage with anything. I couldn't manage with any pills, with nothing. It was just these terrible headaches. And then other symptoms I've had is that during the night, I would like shake a lot in my, in my sleep. Like, you know, when you, when you have a dream and you feel like you're going to fall, like I, I had a lot of those type of things. And then I had some certain sensations, um, that was very, very hard for me to explain. And those were, the sensations that were feeling more like out of the body. Mm. And it was this, this feeling of 
like I, I was starting like feeling very thirsty. I was very dehydrated. And then I would almost feel like I'm outside of my body and, and like look at myself in those sensations. And I would freak out. Yeah. And I would tell my partner, like, just be next to me, hold my hand, because I was so afraid of them. And I had them very regularly at the beginning after after the seizure. Hmm. So I can understand the fear, right? Because you've got all these stuff going on that, that it's not normal. Do you, do you look back at that time now and look at it a different way? Uh, so with the sensations, um, yeah. what I noticed throughout this all these years that now they happen very rarely and it's mainly happening if I'm like very stressed, if I don't take care of myself um, and I'm not afraid of them anymore. I have learned to... Um, to tell myself in those moments that I am safe and I'm I'm okay, so I'm not afraid when it happens. Um, but when I look back at, at that time, I feel like I I was I was terrified. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I just I didn't know how to deal with it, and I didn't have the skills, I didn't have tools, I didn't have people I didn't have like anything around me because I was not in the personal world I wasn't working with anyone I wasn't working with a therapist I wasn't I was just trying to cope with it on my own yeah wow now I know from other people who have been through something like that where they've had to face their own mortality uh even when you lose someone yourself that that passes away which uh I know you've had an experience with that, which we'll get to as well. That's when you start questioning, like, where you're at in life and where you're heading. So was that a big thing for you? You started just to, like you mentioned before, start to question, well, what what, what do I want from my life? Yeah. Can, can you remember a moment or was it something mm -hmm. that just sort of drifted in? Yeah, so – I don't remember exactly the defining moment that mm. helped me change my my perspective because that's that's what it is. I was able to change my perspective from being in this like very low vibration and living in fear and guilt and shame to start looking at that situation that oh my god, I'm actually I was given a second chance to life. And instead of looking at, at it as, uh, wow, I have to pay all these medical bills, uh, I almost died, and looking at all the bad things, I started looking from the other perspective and be like, wow, money can make, if you're alive, money are nothing. But yeah. like my life cannot be bought with any amount of money. And I was, I was given a second chance to live. So that's when I started looking at it like, wow, that means there might be a purpose for me here. There might be a reason why I was given a second chance to live. And that's when I started on my quest of searching what that is and why I was given a second chance. Mm, that's the other thing I've heard from people who have had that near-death experience is that that's the impact it has for them, like, initially, I don't know if you experienced this, it's almost 
survival guilt uh, and then it's because other people don't make it, right? And then it's like, okay, well, I've got a second chance. So what did that lead you to? Because when you start asking questions like that, invariably you start seeing it. The, the guy I interviewed last uh, for the last one, no, might have been not last week, the week before, he said, when you start looking for red cars, you start finding red cars, right? Your brain starts finding when you start looking for things. So what started showing up for you? Yes. So that's when I started um, getting into like the personal development world. And it all started with, with reading a book because I had like no idea. And I don't remember how I came across that book. Honestly, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. No idea how I came across that book. But I started reading that book and from there I was just led to the next step and the next step. And uh, I would just like follow the nuggets. I would allow myself to be guided. And even though I was terrified because I, I started like investing money in courses and I was like terrified. I was like, wow, to pay that much. I remember at that time. <laughs> yeah. To pay a few hundred dollars for a course, what? That's insane. But I just followed the nudges. And I remember I heard at the beginning of my of my journey uh, that someone said that uh, clarity comes with action. So I would constantly like just take the action, take the action, take the next step. And when I would feel um, like block, when I will feel stuck, when I will feel like, oh my God, I just feel like I cannot move forward anymore. And that happened at the beginning. It happened throughout my whole journey, but I remember at the beginning was like a defining moment. I remember going on YouTube and just searching mindset videos because that's all I knew. <laughs> I'm like, I think it's something with my mind and my thoughts. I don't know exactly what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just went and researched like mindset videos and that's where um, an ad came in. And now I'm like so grateful for ads, you know, and for these people that made the ads because that ad and for me following that ad, it truly like changed the trajectory of my life because I discovered Mindvalley uh, back in 2017 and they are like a big catalyst for my transformation. And, you know, I just shared with you that I just went to my Valley university for three weeks. So cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, I imagine that that moment recently going there must've been given you so much joy because you discover a big part of your change through this institution and then like, I mean, I, I think back to when I started learning from guys like Jim Rohn and Les Brown and thinking I, I'd love to meet them one day. Well, Jim Rohn's not with us anymore, but Les Brown is. I'd love to meet him one day and say, like, thank you. Like, like your messages were so big. So that must have been a, another profound moment for you to actually get to spend some time there. Yes, it was so transformative to be there and especially for three weeks. And not just that, but I also got the opportunity to speak on stage and uh, like sharing my message on stage at my valley. I remember years ago, like visualizing myself and imagining myself being on stage at my valley. Wow. And I couldn't believe 
that was happening and it was such a healing process for me to get on stage there because I shared my story and I shared my story with my partner and like the moment I found out like a week before my talk the moment I found out that I'm gonna go and be on stage like my process has started and it was a very very emotional process knowing I'm gonna be on stage and I'm gonna share my message Mm, so good. How did you start moving past the fear and the and the shame and the um, those other negative feelings after that near death experience? Like, mm. what were some of the pivotal moments or learnings for you that helped you move through? Yeah, so I started looking at the at the opposite spectrum of it. And that's what really helped me because I was just focusing on, oh my God, I took that substance. Oh my God, I cannot share with my friends. I cannot tell my, my family. And I was just like, so ashamed about the the whole situation. But then I started looking at it from the opposite perspective and be like, okay, like things happen in life. Like we all make mistakes we all go through things yeah. and then i started looking at what are actually the 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 gifts and the blessings out of that and the biggest thing it was the fact that i was alive and then i started asking myself what would my friends and family uh would prefer for yeah. me like not to be alive and just you know be gone because i've i've done a mistake or would they actually be also grateful because I'm I'm still here? Absolutely. And it's amazing we go through these moments and we think about all the negatives and then something clicks and then we start seeing the gift. So that gift, when does it go from, okay, wow, I'm, I'm on the right track now. When does it go from that gift to actually – I want to help other people with this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it took me years. It took me years because, so it was 2015, I had my near-death experience. Then like a year after 2016, I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually blessed for being alive. And I started my, my search for what is my purpose. And I remember being obsessed about it, like literally obsessed. And I think when you are also so obsessed, uh, you don't really see clearly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and from 2016, it was all the way in probably 2019 when I discovered coaching where I know it's it's my path for now. I yeah. always say that our purpose is is changing based on on who we are and what's going on in in our life. I don't believe it's just this one big thing that you have for the rest of your life. Uh, but I know my purpose right now it's still coaching and when I discovered I knew that's it. So it took me a lot of inner work, a lot of introspection, a lot of healing. And I would also say a lot of forgiveness, a lot of self-forgiveness. Mm. 
Yeah, it's good. To, for me to be able to even get to the point that, wow, now I want to and I can help others. Forgiveness was such a big thing for me. And self-forgiveness, as you said, a big part of for me was actually forgiveness of other people in my life who I'd assigned blame to for different things and uh, and was having negative thoughts about. Was that something for you as well around like different like family members and friends oh, and so on? 100%. I, I remember doing all these different exercises and letters and, you know, for, for my family members, for my parents, for my brothers, and it was so hard. But I also remember that the hardest thing, it was when I, when I did a mirror exercise and I was doing self-forgiveness. I, I would say that was the hardest thing than anyone else in my family or in my life. Yeah, well, now, 2019, you start getting into that coaching space. We probably met around that time, I think, maybe sometime around then. Um, but then you've had a, a different life-defining event which was about what happened to someone else really close to you but anyone who's been through it like it's it's a it's a huge one right so your partner started to get sick when was that that was in uh, 2021 he started having um symptoms around may he started having some symptoms yeah and at that point, are you thinking, uh, not not too much of it? Like, were you just thinking, oh, we'll just deal with it? And yeah, yeah, we we really thought it's uh, kidney stones because he recently had like like two years or so before he had issues with kidney stones and he had the surgery and we thought, oh, it's a, like another kidney stone. So he was going to his urologist and the urologist couldn't really find anything, uh, but he still gave him treatment for kidney stones. Right. And then was it a, like a slow decline or, or was he just sort of dealing with it and then got sick quickly? So in May, he started having the symptoms and then he was starting feeling worse and worse and worse. Uh, mm. So we pursued with um, doing more investigations on why is he not getting better with his uh, kidney stone treatment. Um, and after that, after we have done several tests in July 22nd, it's when we actually found out that he had stage four cancer. And like, I would say, especially after we have found out the, the diagnosis, like his decline was like this, like very, very fast, like within one or two weeks we were already like started going to the hospital all the time because of his symptoms and pain so the decline was very fast Hmm. did the treatment change then or you think just the diagnosis in itself had a really negative impact on him yeah i would say the diagnosis in itself had a, a very big impact on on him and how were you coping through all of that I mean, uh, the first reaction, it's shock and denial yeah. uh, when you find out something like that. And after that, 
um, I decided to pause my business because as I, as I shared with you previously, our purpose changes based on, uh, on what's going on in, in our life. And I felt that in that moment, my purpose was not to serve my clients, to be in my business, but my purpose was to be next to him because yeah. he was the one that needed me the most. Mm. So it was, um, it was the hardest time in my life. It was like a nightmare. I couldn't believe that we go through something like that. And um, I was trying to control everything. Mm. There's that moment, like it's surreal, right? Where you're like, is this even real? Like, like this happens to other people. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen to me. Like, so, so you're, you're in a country away from your family. I know we spoke briefly uh, in and around that time, um, but who did you lean on in, in that time when, when you were, I imagine would have been hugely isolating. Yeah. So we, we have very good friends which they showed up for us in ways that I cannot even describe. And I know, I know for sure that they are my soul family. Yeah. Uh, because I would say sometimes not even the family shows up the way they have showed up for us. And it was so healing, Ian, to, to experience that. And to have that in our life, because it it has also helped me heal my wounds around community. Because when when my mom left when I was 14, I didn't have anyone around me. So I felt that I'm I'm always alone and I always have to figure it out alone and go through things alone. And at that time time with my partner I was shown the opposite and I was shown that you are not alone anymore and even though you don't have your your family next to you you are still loved and and supported and cared for oh I got goosebumps all through that um that's something that I haven't spoken a lot about but I have heard that described by people before it's such a spiritual experience when you go through tragedy because often that's exactly what happens. People show up. I can remember uh, one of my best mates in the world. He he had a really bad head injury while we were playing football. And when we went to see him, he's like his head was like swollen, and you just like if if it had been through him getting in a fight or if he'd been beaten up or something, I think it would have been even like more traumatic for us. But given that we knew it was football and, and we kind of had reasons for it, it wasn't as bad. But he said, like, despite the fact that he was in a lot of pain and going through all, he just had like head surgery. He said it was actually, yes, yeah, such a positive spiritual situation because he just had this outpouring of love to him that from people that he just wasn't expecting and it was similar to what you described there. So I, I really thank you for for, for sharing that because I think it's a – sometimes people can block that off and, and even through their darkest times almost feel guilty about mm-hmm. having good feelings at that time. Was, was, there any, was any of that for you? Yeah, so 
first, both of us, we really had to learn to ask and receive for help. That was a, a huge thing. And then I, I always tell people that throughout those times, I've experienced the, the hardest and the most beautiful moments through my life because yeah. it's so true like the the depth of both are so so profound yeah. and i wasn't really feeling guilty for feeling the the joy of it because i was already in this world of like i have already like i've had so many tools and so yeah. much awareness and I also knew the moment when we found out the diagnosis that one of the reasons why I have learned about all these things previously, all these years, and why I have done all these healings, it, it was because it also prepared me for, for that moment. Mm. Now, being prepared for someone who is terminal is one thing, but then when the actual moment comes, nothing can prepare you for that, right? Yes, yes, it's being prepared how, oh, I would say the way I have able to show up in those moments. So, so then after nine months of being unwell, your partner actually passed away. Are you okay to talk about that? I know it's not that long ago. Is yes. That, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. am. I, I have talked several times and I have shared with with friends, family, people, I would say from the beginning. It's not yeah. something I had held back and I have done it, especially at the beginning, through a lot of uh, a lot of tears. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's very healing every single time when I share. And then yeah. it's very healing for those that are are listening. So I believe this is not my my story to to help, but it's a story to share. Yeah, I get goosebumps again from that because it absolutely does. Because when people can relate to the story and what you've been through, and and I think part of it is when we go through these things, we think that we've done it wrong, or that mm -hmm. maybe that uh, I shouldn't have done this, I should have done this differently. But from my experience, people go through it like yes, different, but similar in so many ways. So. The, the actual, like, day, like, were, were you already in hospital? Was it at home? Like, how did it all unfold? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the way he, it has happened is that we were already spending, we spent, like, a month in the, in the hospital yeah. because he wasn't feeling well and he couldn't cope with the pain of, yeah. um, of his symptoms. And uh, we have made the decision two weeks. I mean, he has made the decision two weeks before he, he transitioned where he told me that he's ready to go and that he cannot, he cannot fight anymore. Yeah. And that even he, until that point, he has done it because of me mainly, but he was tired because... Yeah especially like his mind was strong but his body couldn't do it anymore and i remember until that point until he told me that he's ready to go i was constantly like 
fighting and searching and I was already like having another treatment on the way and I mm-hmm. found this doctor in Los Angeles and my goal was like okay we're gonna like get you out of the hospital and we're gonna go to Los Angeles and do the treatment there and I was like keep fighting and keep searching like for me hope was something that kept me going until the moment that he told me he's ready to go and when when he told me that i would say from that moment until he transitioned i think i was crying like 24 7. yeah i I was just like i couldn't stop crying Mm. and i i was sleeping on the couch next to him in the hospital i literally like lived there with him in the hospital and he was telling me i want you to hold my hand like just just be next to me and hold my hand because he was afraid he was afraid of that moment so i would sleep next to him holding holding his hand and even when i would take a shower i would put my phone to see him to make sure he's still breathing and the day that it happened, uh, I remember it was the first day that I took my laptop because I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything, but it was the first day I took my laptop and I was sitting not next to him, but on a chair next to the bed. And I was helping a friend with something. And I remember I was like looking at the laptop and looking at him, looking at the laptop and looking at him. And when I looked at him once, I saw him taking like three big breaths in. And I didn't realize in that moment that those were his last breaths. And two minutes after, I think the nurse came in and she's like, should we turn him around? Because he doesn't seem very comfortable. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And that moment when I went next to him, I realized he wasn't breathing anymore. And I was so mad in that moment Hmm. because I was like, I didn't hold his hand. And I know now and I understood that he couldn't have gone if I would have holded his hand. Mm. You had to let go. Yeah. Oh, wow. But that wouldn't have been how you felt at the time, though, would it? No. At that moment, I was so mad on myself because I'm like, he asked me, he told me to hold his hand. But I know know now that what mattered for him is that I was there. I was in the room and he felt my presence. Yeah. And and what you know from the coaching that you do that it's – the presence, which is the most important thing. It's the, you're always connected, even if it's yeah. not physically. <sighs> Did that bring on more guilt? Oh, 100% in that, in that moment, I was, I couldn't go past that. I couldn't go past the fact that they didn't hold his hand. Like, and you know, I think our mind is just trying to pick on something, on hang on something, hmm. uh, to even cope 
with the situation because after it happened, everything felt so surreal. Like I was, I, I, I couldn't really comprehend like my mind and everything couldn't really comprehend that that really happened. Mm. Uh, I think uh, it's a word you mentioned before. It's control. Like by, by giving it a, a story, we, we try and graft some control to something that we can't possibly control. Exactly. So how did you, you said that like later you realized that, well, no, I needed like, if he wouldn't have gone, if I was holding his hand, how, how did you come to that realization? Was that going through an experience similar to you ex, that you explained before, like with, with a facilitator or is that something you came to yourself in your own way? Yeah. So what, what I did afterwards, uh, I was already seeing a therapist. So I was talking to my therapist. Then I was also seeing an energy healer. Then I did some sessions with my energy healer. And then I, I realized that it, it took me a few days, but afterwards I realized that there is no, no point on, on leaving in that way on thinking that, oh my God, I'm going to live in guilt for, from now on because I didn't hold his hand because mm-hmm. I have done everything, everything that was humanly and out humanly possible for me to be there every step of the way with him as I promised him when we found out. Mm. And that was that was the way that he was able to also let go because a few days before he told me that it's so hard to let go. Mm. Yeah, I bet. I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm also drawn to he would have known you very well and if you were going to be doing anything at that time, well, of course, that's helping someone else, right? Exactly. And I imagine that whether he was conscious of that or not, that would have meant the world to him as well. Yes. So is there part of you that, uh, like, is there a legacy you, you want to live leave for him or, or a, like, yeah, is, this, is there, like, is there a, a, a cause or a passion now um, after yeah. his past? Yes, and first at the beginning I told myself that <clears throat> all his pain and the fact that he, he went so early on from us, he was only 40 years old, that is not going to be in vain. And I told myself that my transformation is going to be part of his legacy. And then all the people I'm going to to touch along the way by sharing the story, by transforming other people's life, it's going to be part of his legacy. And it's part of why I started a podcast. It's part of why I've changed my business to sacred transitions. Uh, It's part of why now I help people through the biggest transitions, the biggest challenges in their life. Uh, And 
is part of why now I'm building an academy where other coaches and, and healers are going to be trained to help people specifically during those challenging transitions. It's all part of his legacy. Oh, wow. Goosebumps again. Like you talked about purpose before, like that just feels so aligned for you because it's like you've been through one of the most trying transitions yourself and I always, I always, well, I know that when we can help someone through something we've been through ourselves, well, then who, who better to be able to, to, to share that with than someone who's got real life experience. So, yeah, that just feels like such a perfect fit for you, Andrea. Thank you. So when we talk about purpose then, and, and at, you mentioned at different times it, it presents in different ways, and I know travel is presenting to you as travel uh, is a big part of that at the moment. But what do you see as the next thing for you in terms of your purpose journey? Mm. Oh, I see myself speaking on stages after I have um, shared my message at my Valley University on stage. I realized um, that I meant to share my message on stage. So that's part of it and uh, traveling the world and sharing my message uh, everywhere I'm going. And what's the main theme of your message? Hmm, The main theme, so the talk is about how to adapt to unexpected change. And what I really do in the talk, it's like giving people hope that no matter what hard times they go through, that miracles do exist. And even though that miracle is not going to look maybe how they expected, is that the miracle of, of being alive, the miracle of experiencing the, the hardship and coming out of it, the miracle of... Oh, of finding joy in the pain. And that's one of the hardest things for people to face, right, is is to find that there can be any sort of joy through, on the other side of that pain. Yes. Could you share something for the listeners that they could take with them, um, a strategy or a, or a process or a tool if they're, in that place that they're stuck in their pain and and they're still struggling to grasp the idea that they might be able to get some joy out of it. Mm, Yeah, sure. So I would say first it comes to know that you are making a choice. You make a choice on what do you want to experience in any given moment, on how do you want to show up, on who you want to be. And then ask yourself, when you make that choice, is this choice good for me? Is it helping me? Is it healthy? Does it make me move forward in a way that I'm happy about? 
Because if not, you can choose in that very given moment to make a different choice. And to make a choice as I have changed my perspective from even with my near-death experience, from looking at it from guilt, shame, pain, and all these things to seeing the blessings that there, there is also the, the flip side. And also to know that any single time when you go through pain, when you go through hard times, there is this duality because there is always the duality of things. Yeah. So if there is ugliness, pain, then there is beauty and joy as well. You just have to open your mind and open yourself and to give yourself the permission to see it, to experience it, because it's already there. Mm. It's a word that you used earlier. It's a, it's a shift in perspective. Yes. And no matter what transition you're going through, what, what change or dark moment, it's that change in perspective that will bring about the joy. And, and, and as you said, then it becomes a choice. I also love what you said there about the miracles, right? That it, part of the change in perspective is not trying to control how they show up, but just being open to, I'm, I'm happy calling it magic. The magic that will show up for you when you are open to receiving and you'll get solutions and you'll get opportunities and you'll get moments that you could never have imagined. Exactly. The moment you'd let go of that control. Yes. And focus on what it is in your control and in your control is how you show up, how you choose to react, what you choose to focus on. That's what it's in your control. So that's where your focus should be on, on what is it in my control and focus on that and shifting that and everything else. Just allow it to unfold and trust that it is happening for you, that it is happening for your growth and for your highest good. So good. So Andrea, where can Andrea Andrea, sorry, where can people find out more about your work with transitions and especially the academy? Yeah, so on uh, on Instagram, just um, find you. I, I am Andrea Thomas. I'm on Instagram. And just pop into my DMs and uh, share Ian's name to make sure I know where you're coming from. Uh, and I will love to, to provide you with my... Uh, with my free gift, which is uh, three steps to activate your personal power. And I've put it in over there, like the three main tools I have used uh, during really that hard time that it helped me showed up as my best version in that moment. Awesome. And you've got a fantastic podcast on there on your Insta page as well. Uh, the, The great pleasure and honor of appearing on that a couple of weeks ago well i really enjoyed that chat um andrea thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story uh, particularly something that is uh is still quite raw and and i appreciate you you sharing that emotion as well because it's it's really as you as you rightly pointed out it will the audience will 
will get something from that absolutely and and i definitely felt that and i know they would have too so thank you so much and thank you thank you ian for having me i appreciate it you're welcome i'll speak to you soon yes i hope you enjoyed this episode of the grief code podcast thank you so much for listening please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too if you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief let's chat email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com you can also stay connected with me by joining the grief code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code and remember so that i can help even more people to heal please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform